A wolf dressed in a sheepskin blended himself in with the flock of sheep and every day killed one of the sheep. When the shepherd noticed what was happening, he hanged the wolf in a very tall tree. When other shepherds asked him why he had hanged the sheep, the shepherd said, The skin is that of a sheep, but the activities were those of a wolf. We've all heard this parable in one form or another. The words may be different, but the message is the same. Appearances may be deceiving. Never trust blindly, for the sheep might be a wolf in disguise. Or in this case, your kindly old neighbor may mean it quite literally when she asks to have you for tea. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we We would be dead. dead. this week's story? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I am. I know a little bit about it. It touches on your profession a little bit, which yeah. I like a lot. <laughs> so this week we will be talking about the soap maker of Correggio, mm. which I looked up how to pronounce <laughs> five separate times. Leonardo Cianciulli. Perfect. I think I pronounced yeah. all of those names right. <laughs> like 25% Italian, so I felt like that was I'm correct. Like, I'm half Italian. Are which, you? Yes, which is a sin that I can't read these things I know. <laughs> it's fine please and we're both the palest people you've probably ever met <laughs> that's very true we were very fair-skinned i'm that's italian okay. greek but all of my german comes out <laughs> i know all my english and irish is visible yeah the rest mm-hmm. of it is hidden hidden beneath freckles yeah <laughs> it's in that subdermal layer <laughs> we'll get there we'll okay. get to our subdermal layer in a little bit so we've posted, by now we've posted pictures of Leonardo, and she really just looks like a little Italian grandma. She and is super cute. Yeah, and she, that's what <laughs> she was. But let me tell you, I had an Italian grandma and an Italian great-grandma who was not that much younger than her, and I would not have messed with her. No. <laughs> Italian grandmas will fuck shit up if they have to. <laughs> They're no joke. So surprising as this story is, there's like a little part of me that always thinks like, oh yeah, I can see that happening. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Which is awful when you hear the rest of the story. Um, But before we begin, as I mentioned a little bit before, I have a disclaimer. There are a lot of Italian names and locations in this episode, and I promise you that I am trying super hard to pronounce them all correctly. But if I don't, you can feel free to jump on over to our Facebook group and post a correction. But remember, I am but a lowly podcaster trying her level best just to not breathe into the mic this week. (laughs) (laughs) So be kind, rewind, and all of those other things. Don't worry, Holly. We will only judge you a small bit. <laughs> At least I'm not being like the like Giada on the Food Network when she pronounces one word hyper Italian <laughs> and the rest of it is American. Like, today we're making spaghetti. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you can't. I can't. 
just always feel con- like condescending. It drives me crazy. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm sure that's right, and she's doing the right thing. Please don't sue me, Gianna. Every week, last week, Dr. Phil, this week. <laughs> Oh gosh! Please don't sue us. I love you. I watch all your shows. <laughs> Food Network, is which we did, we did look up. Yes. He does have a doctorate, but I think what the problem was was that he wasn't. I don't think he was licensed. Like, he's I not still, a medical doctor. That he's was not the a. Thing. Me- oh, is that was yes? That he has a PhD was? in clinical psychology, so he's still a doctor. Yeah, which is still a doctor, but people were like, "You're not a medical doctor." Oh, so. is that? Yeah, it was people being shitty. That's just ignorant. I know it's terrible. You're ignorant. <laughs> Your Jersey Shore just came out. It so came out. In the biggest way. I want you to have like a poof and a tan. It's going to be good. I'll show a picture. I was Snooky for Halloween one year and it was actually a very good look for me. <laughs> that will 100% be on our Instagram. Yes, I'll put that on later. I was in a, in a prime weight then. Oh, Snooky. Snooky snook. I feel like I kind of remember that happening. Yeah, it was uh, when I worked at um, a restaurant, we had all of us did the Jersey Shore. It was perfect. I love it. But, yeah, so I was Snooky. My brother was Vince, right? He was he was like the nice one. Oh, right. But he looked great as that. I was like, I guess, because he's my brother's very preppy. Very good look for your family. Yeah. Jersey my, Shore. And my brother has the olive skin tone, so it was... I don't know. We okay, were we all kind of told him maybe you should get some stud earrings and look more Guido. Frost like, your tips. Yeah, he was he he looked good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for you, Jersey Shore was like, this is a good look. I love it. I know. It weirdly worked for us. <laughs> right. I'm gonna go get my dog who's screaming. So the rest of this episode will have like a little dog in my lap. Just keep that in your mind. Maybe it'll be comforting. Maybe. Maybe it'll provide like dog therapy. I have to keep my dog in my lap like he's a little baby. So if you hear mouth noises, I'm so <laughs> sorry. I hate them too. All right, well, let's get into it. Okay. Leonardo Cinciulli was born on April 18th, 1894 in Montello, Italy. Montello is in the Avellino province, which is situated just under the Monte Picentini. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's it. That's close enough. Mountain range <laughs> in southern Italy. It's real pretty. Montello is a small, quiet town even today. Well, I mean, I gathered as much as I could from the website, but it is in Italian. Yeah. <laughs> so my hackneyed Spanish only helped me so much. We didn't have enough time to go through Dilingo this, this week. <laughs> but it's real nice. It's yeah. pretty. It's, it's like under a beautiful mountain range. It's clearly a small town community. Not much is known about Leonardo's early childhood. We know that she was the child of rape. And her mother was forced to marry her rapist. Oh, my God. I hate that so much, but it was common. Wow. Back then, like, you were pregnant. That guy knocked you up. You got to marry him now. That's your life. Oh, my gosh. That's so horrible. And it breeds so much resent, which we'll see. Mm -hmm. Leonardo's father died in her early childhood, which, like, good on him. He sounds like a real piece of shit. And her mother remarried. They were poor. And Leonardo's mother resented her immensely because of the situations in which she was born, which, I mean, like, can't super blame her, but it wasn't Leonardo's fault either. Mm -hmm. Because of the turbulent relationships in her life, Leonardo attempted suicide twice in her, like, childhood. Oh, yeah. She had it real tough. Pretty dark. Some dark shit was definitely going on in her home, but we don't have a whole lot of details. (laughs) Something was brewing in that pot. Fun. Oh, gosh. 
Sorry. You okay? You'll you'll figure out why that was meaningful later. In 1914, when Leonardo was just 21, she met and married registry office clerk Raffaele Pensardi. I said that one good. You did. That was good. (laughs) I was actually a little, like, attracted to it. Thank you. (laughs) Apparently, she didn't take his last name, as she is always referred to as Chinchuli. I guess that was common back then. I don't know. But let me tell you, it was real hard to decide what to call her because Chentuli is a pain in the ass to write. But Leonardo feels like I'm talking about a lady ninja turtle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> My favorite ninja turtle. Oh, well then mm. this is good for you. <laughs> and her husband is Raffaele. So oh, well, two ninja turtles. Two ninjas. If they didn't have children named Donatello and Michelangelo, it's a big missed opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. So obviously I went with the Ninja Turtle. (laughs) We're going to call her Leonardo and see how it goes. Okay. Anyway, Leonardo is set to marry Raffaele, but when she tells her mother, her mother is infuriated. Apparently she had already arranged a match for Leonardo and felt that Raffaele was not a suitable substitute because arranged marriages were like a thing back then and Mm -hmm. they had found her husband. She didn't like him. Nevertheless, Leonardo and Raffaele were married. After their wedding, Leonardo and her mother had a huge falling out. And during the climax of this fight, Leonardo's mother was said to put a curse on her. Oh, I know. All right. Which we have seems... another, another like <laughs> mythical happening this week. I love it. Good, right? <laughs> and that seems like just dramatic nonsense to us. Like you would never curse somebody in the middle. Maybe you would. I don't know. Well, that's like, I feel like that's a cultural difference. Well, it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what I have here. In the early 1900s, Italy was extremely superstitious, very superstitious place. So this would have been legit. Like, Mm -hmm. placing a curse on her would have been a serious thing to think about. End all be all. Seriously. Older women in villages would have told fortunes and offered protection charms. The evil eye was a real big deal. I would have been so part of that. Oh, I know. Doesn't (laughs) it sound like... I yeah. fall right into that culture. You have a curse on you. Come to me. I will show you what it is and how to. Oh, you would have. <laughs> I would have. You would have made potions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Here's what you take twice a day. <laughs> Sleep with this rock under yeah. your pillow. And I'll draw the evil eye above your door. Yes. I think you would have been real successful. I think I would have been. I have faith mm-hmm. in you. Another thing to be noted is that the number 13 was very lucky. Okay. But the number 17 was very unlucky oh. in Italian culture in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind because it's going to come back. It's like an odd number. Too. It is. Well, I mean, it's obviously <laughs> an odd number. Not even, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> that weird little fact comes back, though. And when I was doing the research for this, I was shocked that it's not mentioned anywhere. Okay. So I found something out. Ooh, I love this. Yes. Growing up in this kind of culture, Leonardo had been to a few fortune tellers in her day. Wasn't uncommon to do that. One told her she would marry and have many children and all of her children would die. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. Another told her that in her right hand, oh, this one was a palm reader. She was, a, I think, a Romani gypsy. Okay. I don't think we use those two words together. I think it's just Romani. Whatever. I'm not trying to offend anyone. Your culture is awesome. Mm-hmm. I love your artwork. <laughs> Live your best life. Anyway, she said that in her right hand, she saw prison, and in her left hand, she saw a criminal asylum. Oh. Cheerful stuff. Okay. Uh, so that's what we all want when we get our future told, right? Yeah, that's, um sounds, I feel like I'd be like, I'm not paying you. <laughs> I want my money back, <laughs> yeah. and I got to go home and cry. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> but 
it was alarmingly accurate. Yeah. So maybe these ladies were onto something. Maybe you should start doing that. I think I might. Just bring it back. Mm-hmm. Offer in the soap shop, like, black magic yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> Your business partner would like that, right? She would love it. Corinne Perfect. would be all about it. <laughs> awesome. I would buy all your stuff. <laughs> Let me tell you your reading today. Today you will buy a bunch of bars of soap. Four, exactly. <laughs> In one scrub. Thank you. The big Have jar. Grab the big jar. The big <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get the hustle in there yeah. somewhere. I feel you. After her cursed marriage, Leonardo and Raffaele moved to Lariano in Alta Irpinia. Told you there's a lot of Italian words. Which was a neighboring town to Montello. So they were close to their families and Raffaele's job. They lived there for 16 years until an earthquake destroyed their home in 1930. Ooh. She's so unlucky. Are earthquakes um, normal there? Do you know? Mm-mm. No. Okay. This was like a big one and like a freak occurrence, but it ruined right. their house. After this, Leonardo figured that maybe she should get away from her curse-slinging familia. <laughs> so they moved to the much larger and more metropolitan town of Correggio in northern Italy. So this is far from their family. They, like, went up the boot. Okay. From, like, by the ankle to mm-hmm. the top, if that makes better sense to anybody Good listening. Head. Good calves. <laughs> right up by you the calves. were able to get up all the way up there. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> And there, Leonardo was able to open up a small soap shop. She's Ooh, like, yeah. I love this. Yay. You're, this is more like Soap's you every dress, minute. right? <laughs> yes. Family owned. Indeed. <laughs> she was known there as a kind and gentle woman, and she was generally thought fondly of. She was pretty popular. She was mm-hmm. kind of like everybody's grandma. She was cleaning everyone. What's to not love? <laughs> <laughs> she cleaned. She cooked. She's great. I love it. Mm-hmm. During this time, Leonardo and Raffaele tried desperately to have a family. She was pregnant 17 times. Oh, there's the number. Yep. Ding, ding. (laughs) 17 pregnancies. Three babies were miscarried and 10 died in early childhood. Oh, oh, Christ. What's 10 (laughs) plus 3? 13. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No. So some could say they were the lucky ones. (gasps) Ugh. Oh, I don't like that, Holly. I don't like it either, but like, look (laughs) at it. It's in the, it's right there, man. Yeah. Yikes. And four survived. So she did have four children, which at least that's something. But that is a crazy amount of tragedy for one person. Yeah. A lot of kids died in early childhood Mm -hmm. back in like the Victorian era. But this is, you have to remember like, this is also the 30s. It's still childbirth can be dangerous, but not as much. Right. They had more medical interventions and stuff then. I mean, maybe not in small town Italy. Yeah. That could be wrong. I don't know. It just, it still seems like a whole lot to mm-hmm. me. Ten kids died in their early childhood. That's bananas. hmm Anyway. So she had four kids that survived that, mm-hmm. like, lived on? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They, they lived to be adults. And we only have the story of one of them, but they, they lived. Okay. Naturally, because of her many, many losses, Leonardo was incredibly protective of her four remaining children. And I can't blame her for that. Mm-hmm. Especially her eldest son, Giuseppe. Oh, Giuseppe. Giuseppe. I love it. He's, was he the Pinocchio's maker? That's Geppetto. Oh, Geppetto. Yeah. <laughs> we were close. Very close. Still Italian, right? Still Italian. It's Giuseppe. He's going to have some pancetta. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> oh, God. Don't sue me, Giada. 
So parents always say that they don't have a favorite child, and most don't. Maybe some do. I don't know. My parents do. Is it you? I think it's my it's brother. <laughs> it has to be my oh, brother. Oh, is it? I think that I'm the easiest one for them, but I think it's my brother. Really? Yeah, he's the little boy. Mm. Well, he's the big boy, but he's my big brother. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> well, Leonardo made no bones about having a favorite child. Okay. <laughs> Every single source that I read from, which is like newspapers from then and any kind of like summation of her case... Every source calls Giuseppe her favorite child. So she had to have said it at some point. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, Mm. is that why the other three? We know nothing about them. Yeah. We only know about this one. They probably sucked, it sounds like. Or they were girls. Oh, there you go. See, it's always the boy. It's always the boy. My parents are going to be like, Leslie, you are clearly our favorite. And be like, no, no. I know. I now know it's the on truth. the air. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> Forever your brother. No, they love us equally, I think. But the boys always, <laughs> always <think>. excel. <laughs> I really think that's true. Okay. Well, it was true for Leonardo. By 1939, World War II had broken out, and Italy, under the leadership of Benito Mussolini, was planning to go to bat for Germany. <laughs> Yikes. Oh. It's the wrong side of history, Italy. <laughs> <laughs> the optics of that are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> In retrospect, they probably regret that decision, but that's fine. Maybe they stand by it. They're prideful people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hope not. Okay. (laughs) Moving on. Word began to circulate that the Italian army was currently recruiting en masse, and they were coming for Giuseppe. This sent Leonardo into a full-scale panic. Yeah. She could not lose her favorite son, her favorite all-around child. Who knows what the other ones were? We don't care about them. Mm Mm-mm. Maybe one of the lesser ones would have been fine, but not Giuseppe. She needed to protect him, but how? Take him to Canada. <laughs> it seems so logical. I bet I she know. didn't even know what Canada was. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you live in rural Italy in the 30s. You're like, better go to Canada. We gotta go to Canada. Trudeau's there. He'll, he'll help us. <laughs> he was most certainly not there. But you're really good at history. I yeah, love it. Thank you. <laughs> So what what would the solution be besides Canada? Well, if you're thinking human blood sacrifice, you're super fucked up for jumping right to that and not Canada. <laughs> but also you're right. Okay. That was my second. I know. Canada first, always. Yeah. That's, our, then, that's our slogan. And then blood sacrifice. <laughs> second. Canada first and then blood sacrifice. Yes. That's the order. Mm-hmm. Put that on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Somebody, Sometimes please. you just can't get up there, so blood sacrifice it is. <laughs> It was a matter of convenience, really. Anyway. (laughs) Naturally, the only thing she could think of was to exchange a human life, lives, sorry, to exchange human lives for the safety of her son. Oh, now we're getting in the story, aren't we? Yep. Okay. Settle in. (laughs) Yeah. Strap in. So she had to get on it quick, too, because as predicted, Giuseppe was recruited into the army and shipped off to fight in the war. Oh, Giuseppe. Giuseppe. We just wanted some spaghetti. He's just a good little boy, little mama's boy. Indeed. That's all we really know about him, too. Leonardo began to plan for the deaths of three women. Whatever logic told her to murder people. Sorry, that wasn't the daughters, was it? No. (laughs) We don't even know what the other kids were. We really don't. They're just the other kids. Okay. No, she planned for the death of three women 
and whatever logic told her to murder people so she could magic her son into invincibility during the war also told her that three was the magic number of deaths to do so. Why three? Well, no one really knows exactly, but it's a significant number in many sets of beliefs. Three Mm -hmm. can represent the Holy Trinity. It's the smallest number needed to create a pattern. It represents the cycle of life, birth, life, death, the components of humanity, mind, body, soul, and the number of wishes one usually gets from like a genie or a fairy or a magic well or an evil elf or whatever thing your fairy tale of choice summons as a fanciful deus ex machina. Mm. You like that phrase? I do. It's Mm -hmm. a good one, right? Yeah. Three is my lucky number. There you go. Three is is. is like Mm -hmm. important in a lot of things. Yeah. So that she just must have grabbed that Mm -hmm. from whatever. I mean, it's Christianity. It's important. And she would have been a Christian. So that makes sense. And I think, you know how there's 666 is the devil. And then 333, I believe, is like man. Oh, that's interesting too. Mm Mm-hmm. I could be wrong on that, but I kind of remember, yeah. Well, I like it, so we're going to keep it. Okay. (laughs) Leslie's right. (laughs) Leslie's always right. Canada first, then blood sacrifice. (laughs) So three is a thing. Oh, also for our purposes, I have to um, mention the dark triad, which is narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. Hmm. It's like a Venn diagram of awful. So not like spirit, mind, body? No. This is like (laughs) the horrible things that make a serial killer. Okay. So in later podcasts, we will for sure come back to that. Exciting. It's going to drop it into the world here. Anyway, time for murders. Are we excited? Super. <laughs> By this time, Leonardo had set herself up as a fortune teller. As so one I, does. You guys have so much in common. I know. I'm, I'm getting nervous here. <laughs> I mean, but here's the thing. I would have gone to Canada first. Canada first. At, <laughs> We we definitely set up on different tracks. That's where we have those split universes. For you know? sure. Like different timelines mm-hmm. are happening. Because I chose to go to Canada. She chose to do the blood sacrifice probably. It was 1940 when she did and stuff. And also that. Way later now. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. And we're closer to Canada. So really it's more of an option for you. Yeah. That's true. Great. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. She was apparently a very good fortune teller, too, and she had, like, a lot of people that came and sought out her counsel, um, and she gave advice and just general old Italian lady stuff. Mm-hmm. She had a great reputation, and all three of her victims were women who came to her seeking help. Ooh, okay. So. Well, that's how you find them. Yeah. I think that's what Hannibal might have done. I don't know. I don't know that. Yes. We can take that out, because I have no idea that's his not, real story. That's, like, fictional yeah (laughs) but it still relates i guess one of his first victim was technically his client yeah it's just easy to find i guess so she had a wealth of women that were were just coming to her house and they trust her or him Mm -hmm. yeah okay so the first of her victims was faustina setti Mm. faustina like pastina (laughs) is that true Pastina is a real thing. It's like little okay. baby tiny noodles. Okay. I used to get them when I was sick. Any kid, any person who's got like Italian parents will remember this as like when mm-hmm. you're sick or you went to the doctor or you had a sneeze or anything like Pastina. Oh, funny. True okay. story. Pastina was referred to as a lifelong spinster, which I think is kind of a burn, but whatever. Mm-hmm. It Always just, is. I know. <laughs> you're single forever. Here's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> And that just means, for anybody who doesn't know, that she was a woman of a certain age without a man. Which back then was, like, a terrible thing. And she was probably, like, 25. 
Right. It's probably some absurdly young age. They don't comment on it, but I'm sure. And we're like, you're 40 and you're getting married? What are you thinking? Oh, God. You should be resigned <laughs> to death by now. Yeah. <laughs> she came to Leonardo looking for help finding a husband. I'm oh. so sad for her. Yeah. Leonardo told Faustina that she had found an excellent match for her in the city of Pola, which is now part of Croatia, but back then it was part of Italy. Not that that matters, but have some facts. Faustina was to tell nobody of the arrangements she was making. So Leonardo, like, set up her journey to Pola and said, don't tell anybody you're going. But before you leave, pack your bags, bring your life savings, and come to my house. So she came to see Leonardo with her bags and her money, and Leonardo had her sit at the table and write letters to her friends and family detailing how well she was doing and how happy she was in her new situation. Wow. This sounds very familiar. Yeah. But like another, a completely other okay. story. It's a pretty ingenious hack. She had to write all these letters, sealed them up, mm -hmm. and had them at her disposal. She could send them out whenever she wanted, so it seemed like Faustina was still communicating even yeah. though she was dead. Well. I'm going to get ahead of myself. So Leonardo would send them out after Faustina's, like, departed on her journey. And she said that to do this, <clears throat> to give her some new, un some uninterrupted time with her new boyfriend that was in Polo waiting for her. So no one will bother you. You can just spend time with him and, like, cement your relationship, and I will totally take care of your family. Okay. Which I, I still think it sounds shady, but I guess if, yeah. I guess that if you trust this person and you're really desperate for the situation to work out, maybe you're just going to say yes to anything. After Faustina had finished and sealed the letters, Leonardo suggested that they toast her new adventure with a glass of wine before she went on her way. That seems normal. Yep. Cheers. We, we do it at the end of every podcast. So yes. Leonardo just popped into the kitchen and came back with two glasses of red wine. That's my dog's collar. Sorry. Faustina's was teeming with sedatives. And when it became clear that sleepy time, like the sleepy wine had begun to take effect, Leonardo excused herself to the restroom. She slipped out of sight, retrieved her axe, and struck Faustina in the back of the head, <sighs> killing her. Oh, okay. Yeah, not an easy death. But this is just the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do with this big old messy body? Nothing can be left or there's evidence. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Leonardo was a goddamn gladiator. Okay. <laughs> because she, she drug Faustina's body into a closet. And let me tell you, dragging a dead weight around is no picnic. And how old is she at this point? Um, probably like her early 50s, I okay. think. So she's not a spring chicken. Yeah. Especially back then. And I had to drag people like being dead weight around in Sweeney Todd when I was in Sweeney Todd. And I had to cheat, like, enormously. They had to help me. So it was awful. It was so difficult. Right. So I can only imagine that this was, like, no easy task. But not only did she drag the body herself into a closet, but then she used her axe to cut it into nine pieces. Yeah, well, you gotta... Break that shit down. Yeah. She let the blood drain into a basin. And then I'm gonna use a direct quote from her autobiography, because they always write a damn autobiography. Yes, always. Thank you. Yeah, this <laughs> For one you can purposes, find. I know. Hers is a, is a little more repentant and, and different than Crazy Carl's from last week, but this is what she says. She says, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the mixture until the pieces dissolved into a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied in a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, 
I waited until it had coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine, kneading all the ingredients, ingredients together. I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit me. Though Giuseppe and I also ate them. Oh, man. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Ooh, Got real intense there for a minute. Who figures out that you can make blood into flour? Yeah. That is some mad scientist shit right there. I would, that would never, of course I'm not like a murderer, but that would never enter my brain like, oh, I could use this to cook. Right. I don't know if you know about the chemical makeups of things and if that would just occur to you, but it doesn't seem to me. Yeah, I don't know how blood is, would become flour. Well, obviously you let it coagulate, dry it out in the oven, grind it up, and there you have it, blood flour. Yeah. If anybody knows of any other method of cooking, maybe with with animals. Okay, so when you have, okay, when you're in the forensics area and you're like getting the dried blood, Mm -hmm. that is, that could be the powdery. Yeah. So I guess, okay. So that's what she. That's what she did. Right. And it worked, apparently. Now, some sources say that Leonardo was paid Faustina's $30,000 life savings as a fee for her services. And some sources say that she just stole it after she killed her. Right. Because it's right there. There are no documented dates for this event either. This okay. one just kind of is the first one that happens. The other two have definite dates, but I don't think they really knew when this one happened. Yeah. And you said that she did, she made her into soap too? Oh, we'll get to the soap later. Okay. Okay. But she did do that, right, with this one? Mm-hmm. Okay. No, not this one. I thought you said it. No. no, the funny thing is she only makes one of her victims into soap. Okay. And we'll get to that. But they call her the soap maker of Correggio. Yeah. For some reason, the soap is the part that stuck out to people. Not the fact that she was cannibalizing them. Yeah. Which is nuts to me. Because that sounds way worse. I don't know why. It's To me, it sounds worse that you're, like, eating part of their blood than, like, washing with whatever you yeah. use for soap. I mean, it's both bad, but if she was doing the cannibalism more, you would think It was all three. Yeah, yeah, you would think she would be known for that. But nope, it's the soap. Mm-hmm. Probably because cannibalism was still people knew about that. I guess but the soap them was like new and soap. exciting. Yeah, I guess. So Leonardo's second victim was a woman named Francesca Soavi. Francesca was looking for better prospects in life, so she didn't need a man. She wanted to move up in the world, so she wanted a job. Basically, okay. Leonardo told her that she had found a job for her at a school for girls in uh, Piacenza. That sounds right. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Francesca was set to leave for her new job on September 5th, 1940. And just like Faustina came to visit Leonardo before she left, she wrote the same sort of letters to her family, then toasted to her journey with a glass of knockout wine. Leonardo excused herself to the bathroom and lather, rinse, repeat. (laughs) Another drag across the floor, nine more pieces, another round of tea cakes. And note about the tea cakes, the people in the village could, couldn't get enough of them. Like, they loved them. They were delicious. That's so funny. I know. Can you imagine? I bet you the second round was even better. Because she had mastered her yeah. process at that point. People were stopping by, like, just to get their hands on some little tea cakes. Like, those are really good. Can I have some of those? Yeah. I came back for them. Can you imagine? Well, they say, like, cannibals say, like, <laughs> once, you, once you have a bite, you don't go back. Do they? <laughs> They do, yeah. They say it's like the best thing you've ever tasted. That's super gross. 
But can you imagine like inadvertently loving cannibalism? Like you don't know until later that's what you ate. Right. You find out after the trial that you were eating like human blood cakes and you realize that you were like talking about how much you love them. Oh my gosh, I know. These villages are in for a lifetime of nightmares. I hope they have all of the lucky charms and evil eyes one can equate with actual therapy, which I am. (laughs) I imagine that's a lot. I don't really know. Leonardo was said to have collected 3,000 lira. Oh, that's right. We're dealing with, dealing with lira, not dollars. Please just think of my previous sum of money as lira, as her fee. So either she got it or she stole it. We well, that makes more sense. $30,000 seemed like a lot for well, the other woman. I guess. At the time. I don't know the lira-dollar exchange rate at the time. That's one thing I didn't look up. Okay. Somebody look it up and tell me. So uh, how much was this one? This one was just 3,000 lira. Okay. So she had less because she was looking to move up in the world. So she probably wasn't making a whole ton of money. Now we come around to Leonardo's third and final victim. And this would be her undoing. Her name was Virginia Cacciapo. Again, I'm trying real hard, (laughs) friends. And she was a moderately well-known former opera singer. Hmm. So she ran in high society circles. She had lots of friends and a relatively tight-knit family. Like before, Virginia seeks out Leonardo's help finding a job because she could no longer rely on her singing as her sole source of income, and she wanted to maintain the lifestyle she had created for herself. Mm -hmm. So she wanted like a total bougie job where she could make money and look like a cool kid, I guess. Okay. Don't we all? Yeah. Leonardo claimed that she had found Francesca work as the secretary of a, quote, mysterious impresario in Florence, which, like, come on, man. (laughs) These women were so trusting. That sounds like bullshit of the highest order to me. But I guess when you're that desperate. But you also want to believe it. Right. People will believe anything they want to believe, and they Mm -hmm. will... They will completely ignore things they don't want to believe. Yeah, if you're talking to somebody that seems very trusting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how a lot of those kind of uh, readers get business because they just come off yeah. like your grandma. Mm-hmm. And people don't see what they don't want to see. So if it seemed mm-hmm. really shady, she, I'm sure she like didn't want, didn't want that to register and she just right. kind of kept going on. So on September 30th, 1940... Francesca came to see Leonardo before she left for her journey. She wrote her letters, drank her night-night wine, and then, (laughs) kaboom, axe to the head. Now, here's where it gets different. Okay. Francesca was a little more substantial than the other women had been. Think of, like, old-timey operatic sopranos. Okay. They're not, like, tiny little women. So, getting rid of her... The process had to be a little different. First of all, I imagine it required a lot more like brute strength. <laughs> imagine this was like a real Hulk situation. Right. <laughs> 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 Where she had to just drag this woman into the closet and dismember her. Dismembering anything with an axe is no small feat either. Like think about what it would be like to chop down a tree. I know that takes a while. So it's exactly. like hacking. I mean, we're not probably. a tree, but it's going through like bones and joints. Even even if you know what mm-hmm. to do, it's it's still not easy work. So I don't know how she just did this. see her sitting at her kitchen table just sharpening her axe <laughs> every night before she goes to bed. That's right. So it's nice and sharp when it's time. Mm. And remember, she did this completely alone. Right. Giuseppe was gone. 
Giuseppe. Giuseppe. I'll get it. Geppetto was gone. He found a real boy. It was fine. (laughs) (laughs) And getting rid of Francesca's parts employed a slightly different process. Okay. I'm going to read quote two, and then um, we're going to talk about soap. She ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne. After a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to the neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so no. now part of me wants to understand how that actually happened. Like, she made mm. – you know how to make soap. Yes. So yeah. how <laughs> – Okay. Walk us through a little bit of this process. <laughs> Okay, so, um, well, I should mention first before I go into this that I am, I own a small business with my friend Corinne, and I am not the soap maker of that business. It's a soap and skincare company. She is the soap maker, Corinne. Oh, man, watch out for Corinne. Yeah, watch out for Corinne. <laughs> I do not make the soap. Um, but uh, I have, you, you know. You made soap with me. I did make soap <laughs> with you, yeah. We we teach little classes, and Holly, Holly was one of our class takers. <laughs> That I burnt my face with lye. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> so, okay, to this is possible, obviously. You well, just I mean, need fat, but okay. okay, so to make a true bar of soap, mm-hmm. you need only two ingredients. Oh, oh, so this was not that difficult. It was not okay. the the process of making soap is complicated, but the ingredients, there's really only two. Oh, that's so you only need what well, I'll say an animal fat. <laughs> Or a vegetable oil. And so you use vegetable oil. Yeah, we use vegetable oil. All our stuff is vegan because working with lard is very disgusting. <laughs> so this would not have been like a nice process. No. Okay. Um so okay, so you only need uh animal fat or vegetable oil and then sodium hydroxide. And sodium hydroxide is the lye. Okay, so that would have been easy yeah. to locate back exactly. then. They use it for laundry soap and stuff. Yeah, and so traditionally to acquire lye, you would uh, collect rainwater into a bucket, like a barrel, oh. and it would be mixed with, um, there'd be wood ash in so that barrel. So she referred to it as caustic soda. That's the same thing, right? Yeah. Okay. We call it like lye water. Okay. So yes, it would be the same thing as lye. Okay. So lye, again, traditionally, it's the rainwater coming mm-hmm. into the barrel, and that would be with wood ash in there, and you would just let that distill for probably a couple months. Really? And you'd wait for the water to get kind of this dark brown mm-hmm. color, and then it would just be ready. So it's really yeah. – um, so sodium hydroxide is like an alkali salt, so it's just a fat and salt kind wow. of put together. Okay, so yeah, this was – totally i mean obviously it was doable but mm-hmm. it was hard for me to wrap my brain around like she just all she had was a big pot yeah and you and could just fire. do it in the pot mm-hmm. interesting yeah so and then anything else that you add to it is all the additives later but you would just have those two ingredients and then they create their own heat or you can do it over yeah more she did heat. it over a fire in like a big witchy type cauldron so that would be like the the hot process instead of the mm-hmm, cold process the hot process yeah <laughs> maybe we should have called our podcast that <laughs> so basically you're melting down your oils and then once you melt down the oils you could take it off the heat mm-hmm. that's the cold process and then you add the lye water to it and then the lye automatically anytime you add lye to something it just automatically jumps the temperature way up and that's where you can get those burns you know like your face yeah like, you know, like when lye touches your face <laughs> holly knows all about that and it feels like there's fire on your face <laughs> it's horrible mm-hmm. 
But if that happens, you just put apple cider vinegar on your face. Which I did. Yeah. And then I put it in my soap. But it turned out okay. Yeah, it turned out all okay. right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you have, uh, when you mix those two together, that's like a saponification process. Ooh, fancy mm-hmm. word. And that's when um, the lye is basically changing the chemical compounds of the oil so as you're mixing it together they get thicker and thicker so this would not have been like a super quick process it like it took her time and thought to do this a bit it took it takes a bit of time because you have to make sure that your temperatures are okay but i mean i don't know how her soap came out because well i can tell you (laughs) it's also reported that what she did with the soap was she gave it to her friends and neighbors in the village yeah and it was wildly popular yeah. Like people came back and wanted a second bar. Right. So, so I'm assuming people fat is great for making soap. Yeah. Because there's, it so depends great. on how, it just depends on the process you're doing it with because some come out more rustic looking mm-hmm. and then some come out kind of more perfectly molded. Well, I don't molded. think it needed to be like I don't, slick looking. No, I don't think that it did either. Plus people like a rustic look. <laughs> Who doesn't like a rustic bar of people mm-hmm. soap? But once it was like thickening, she probably poured it, I'm sure, into some sort of mold. Yeah, I'm sure. We have like a, you know, a bar mold and mm-hmm. we just pour it into there and then you just wait for it to harden. And usually within the day or a couple of days, you cut it and then yeah. you can cure it. But for her, since she was doing a hot process, she could probably hand that out within like a few days of making it. Wow. So she like sat there through like an extended process with this woman. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's why the soap making is remembered because it's just so much more involved than making a cake yeah quite possibly thank you for all that information now we know how she made soap (laughs) out of it and it smelled nice because she put some cologne in it yeah but she had to i mean it had to be a process because you have Mm -hmm. to render the fat that's why we don't don't use i mean we wouldn't have to render fat we would just get it it's super (laughs) gross but she'd have to boil it down well, she did. That's what she said. That's if you see, we'll put. We have posted pictures. I already posted a picture of her pot. That giant pot is what she used. She used a giant yeah. cauldron and just stirred it all around and rendered stuff down and down and yeah. down and down. Because that's essentially. I mean, I've only ever seen somebody do that with like a hog. What? I know it, it was in a movie. I didn't like. <laughs> wasn't you didn't see that in real there. life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, you render it, and then you have to, like, shake it out, and then you have to constantly wash that fat so it doesn't have the flavor. Well, she did it. Do you know what the scent was? It just says cologne. Mm. Probably it's a fragrance oil. Old-timey perfume. <laughs> I have no idea. I just threw what she could in there. So after she made her into soap and cake, Leonardo collected or stole, like, really, I think she might have just taken this stuff. 50,000 lira from Francesca. Oh, that was a lot Some, more. Well, she was a famous opera singer. She was Some bigger, of it too. Was, yeah. <laughs> Some of it was money. She had assorted jewelry. And she sold the designer clothing she had packed for her journey. Okay. So her suitcase was full of, like, valuable clothing right. that Leonardo was able to sell. Um, but not long after Francesca's disappearance, her sister began to string together enough information to believe that something sinister had happened and that Leonardo was to blame. Hmm. See? Pays to stay close to your family. (laughs) Leonardo was arrested and brought into custody. She refused to admit any wrongdoing until her son Giuseppe was implicated in in the murders and or disappearances, I suppose, at this time as as an accomplice. And as soon as they implicated her favorite child, she confessed to everything. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay, that's the way to do it. I guess so. Just crumble. Uh huh. Uh, She was tried and convicted in Reggio Emilia. In Italy in 1946. So I guess she awaited trial for quite some time. 
On the stand, she seemed to be docile and resigned. And she fully believed that she just simply did what she had to do to keep her son alive. And it worked. <laughs> it He's still did, alive. Yeah. She didn't die. Local newspapers at the time jumped all over this case. They reported it feverishly, and then it kind of disseminated to more widespread news. And one of the newspapers had this direct quotation to say about her confession. And I feel like it sums up better than I could. At her trial in Reggio Emilia last week, poetess, which I don't know why they're calling her a poetess. She didn't publish anything. Leonardo gripped the witness stand rail with oddly delicate hands and calmly set the prosecutor right on certain details. Her deep-set eyes gleamed with a wild inner pride as she concluded, I gave the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off the kettles, to my country, which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war. She is a true Italian. <laughs> Even her last-ditch efforts were, were her painting herself as altruistic. Just, just, a, just a woman helping the war effort. And I bet there were some freaked out soldiers after that wondering, like, where their copper things came from. Yeah. Or if the ladle in the mess hall had been used for other things. I know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no. maybe that ladle was used to serve, you know, soup. Ugh. But Giuseppe lived. I mean, if you clean it with the soap. <laughs> <laughs> after she skimmed off the fat and then used the soap to clean it, then they served soup. Yeah. Terrible. Maybe it worked after all. Leonardo was found guilty of her crimes and sentenced three years in a criminal asylum and 30 years in prison. Remember what the palm reader told her? Yeah. In one hand was a criminal asylum and in the other was prison. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Both came true. Maybe we should take up palmistry. <laughs> Leonardo died in a women's criminal asylum in Pazzoli on October 15th, 1970 of cerebral apoplexy which is a sudden bleed in the brain. It's basically just a stroke. Okay. Her pot and a number of her tools can be seen on display to this day at the Criminology Museum in Rome. Let's go. I know, right? Field trip! <laughs> Leonardo remains a testament to the fact that things may not always be what they seem. Beware the wolf in sheep's clothing. Hmm. So, that's Leonardo's story. Oh my goodness. It's oh, a lot, right? It is a lot. So, I know who I want to toast this week. Okay. Who do you want to toast this week? Mm, I, I want to hear what you think. I know. It's a hard one. It is a hard one. I want to toast. Wait, before we do that, mm -hmm. what happened to her husband? Where was he? That's who I want to toast. Okay. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm so glad you came to the same conclusion. He didn't know any of it was happening. He was just like living life at home with her. Yeah, she just did this in the store. Oh, my God. Again, huh? I'm sorry. I'm always bringing up my fiancé, John, who's going to have to listen to this. But it's just like, babe, I am not doing this. Although, he wonders. Leslie makes skincare. You don't know what she's doing, just man. very sweet young girl. It could be anything. <laughs> but that's funny that you, you went to that because that's yeah. who I wanted to toast. Her long-suffering, kept-in-the-dark husband who just had no idea what was going on. And then all of a sudden, it all came to light at once. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he was just living he with this monster. Yeah. He was just she was just coming home and making dinner, and they were hanging out. And then, you know, she was Eating going, blood cakes. Eating blood cakes. 
which I'm sure he ate. She said she and Giuseppe ate them, but she didn't mention Raffaele. He doesn't even care about him. He does No. He doesn't register in the story. Just Giuseppe. She's very focused on her son. Did I forget at the beginning when they got married? Did was she was she into him or was that just something no, she that was she was in had? love with him? That's okay, why that's they got right. married. Yeah, and she rejected her arranged marriage because she was in love right. with him. Okay, so they, I mean, they had a had a marriage, but I then just she imagined, had her son. I just imagine him at home when she confessed, like this news coming up, being like, "What the fuck Ooh. did I live through? I was oh right god. there. I know. Oh my god." He probably used that soap. Absolutely. And it was great soap. I'm sure it was. (laughs) So we we toast Raffaele Pensardi with our tea. Cheers. Cheers to Raphael. Cheers to him (laughs) for going through the mill. Yeah. And then having to pick up the pieces afterwards. That's bananas. Gosh. And then you said that the soap was like was black. No, the tea cakes the were tea black. The tea cakes were black. Mm-hmm. Do you know what color blood the based. soap was? Mm-mm. Probably just white. Yeah, I would, I would think, yeah. And, and she, they didn't really have a lot of artificial coloring back then, I don't think. No. So it would have just been white. But the tea cakes were black because they were blood-based. So strange. <laughs> so gross. I make that sound a lot in this, <laughs> in this one. Yeah. I wonder if people just thought they were like somewhat chocolate. Maybe she added. She added, yeah, probably. Okay. They just said they were just sweet, crunchy little cakes. Yeah. Why would they go? Oh, this is probably a person. Like you would never, you would never assume that because they. No, you would never think that because that the blood was the flour. Yeah, it wasn't even like used in its in a form that would taste like blood. Right. So they probably were thinking. I don't know. That's so interesting. It is. I need to know more. I need. I need to hear these people and what they were saying. And you have to time travel. Okay. So when you do that, you let me know. All right. And tell me how badly I pronounced all the names. I will, yeah. Okay, great. Well, we can go to Rome and we can find out. We're going to go to the Crime Museum in Rome. Filter it. We can put that together. Sounds good. (laughs) So today's lesson tells us that if we were an Italian spinster who just wanted some help finding a man, Mm -mm. we we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. We would be dead, motherfuckers. (laughs) Motherfuckers! Morning, graphic (laughs) language.